0: Good morning. Good morning. That sounded almost lifelike. <laughs> Let's try it again. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> okay, that was so special. I'll just sit down now. That's all I wanted to hear. Okay, we're on the courage series, and um, I don't consider myself a courageous person. So when John said, "Why don't you teach in the?" Cur- courage series I said well I'm not courageous what have I got to say about courage and he corrected me on that and said uh, you have the courage to be honest Amen. and I thought "Whoa! it does sometimes take courage to be honest in fact the more I thought about it being honest is one of the most courageous things we can we can be so I'm going to ask you a few quick questions and then we're going to dive into the word about honesty. Why are we not more honest with ourselves? Do you really think you're honest with yourself? You really think you're self-aware? You really think you get what's going on inside? They took 3,000, psychologists took 3,000 business leaders, successful business leaders, And the first question was, are you self-aware? And the only ones that could follow through with it, the rest of the test, were those that believed they were self-aware. So they had 3,000 of them that believed they were self-aware. Then they put them through the battery of tests. What was the percentage of those that were actually self-aware? Between 10 and 15%. 85 to 90% were lying to themselves. We're really good at lying to ourselves. Why are we not more honest with ourselves? This is, I'm having fun here, inviting you into this morning. Why are we not more honest with ourselves? What's, what's the downside of being honest with yourself? you see that? You'll have to deal with it. You just, you just might have to change. And what percentage of the population likes change? 15%. 15%. The rest of us fear change and avoid it wherever possible. Why else is it hard to be honest with yourself? Come on. What emotions will follow if you're honest with yourself? Hello. Hello. Shame. Shame. Do you really want to face who you really are? No, not really. Discouragement? How about that one? Do it long enough, self-hate? Hurt. And, have, and hurt and, and regret? And the p- number of people you might have to say you're sorry to? Just kind of balloons? Okay. Okay. So being honest with ourselves is not easy. How about being honest with God? How do you feel about that one? Why is it, is it hard to be honest with God for anybody here? Anyone? To be honest with God is difficult, threatening. Why is it hard to be honest with God? What are we afraid of? Condemnation. Hmm. What else? Shame. S- same one. We're going to find. We're going to find shame. Just keeps coming up. If you get really honest with God, you are going to feel ashamed, probably. How about feeling rejected by Him? If I'm really honest with God, He 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 may very well reject me. Fear of judgment. Punishment. How about this one? If I really get honest with God and with myself, I'm afraid I won't be able to change. First, there's that obligation if I need to change, but then there's the, what, what if I get real with myself and I get real with God and I find out I can't change myself? That makes honesty with God very, very threatening. Okay. Honest with myself, honest with God, what else does that leave? The hardest one: honest with others. See, I might be able to account on I might be able to count on God's love and forgiveness to accept me as I am, and I might find it within myself to accept me as I am, but when it comes to other people, they're not much like God. They're much like me. and I'm going to trust. My fragile ego and, and my threatened self-worth, I'm going to trust that to another person by being real with them? You've got to be kidding me. Now, that, that's just plain asking too much. But what's the price of not doing it? Okay? What's the price... Of not being honest with myself. Self-deceit. You know, there's a heck of a lot in the Bible about self-deception. We are frankly prone to it most of the time. What other risk is there of not being honest with myself? I stay the same. Some of you like that. Yeah, I get to stay the same. Well, the people around you don't like that. I mean, you like that. I like that. I don't want to change, but the people around you are going, gosh, I wish he knew what was really going on in his relationships. He's a complete mess. That's why God gave us the gift of marriage. (laughs) Mary said it doesn't work. Well, it's supposed to work. What's... The danger of not being honest with God. You stay the way you are. Hmm. Yeah, you know, isolation hasn't come up yet, but it should. Because, did you know that you can be isolated from yourself? When I was in high school and university. I disliked myself so much. I, erased, I, I I arranged my social schedule so that I was never alone. Because when I was alone, the only company I had was me. And I did not like myself and I was not good company. So isolation. You cut yourself off even from yourself. How about... Isolation from God, where does that leave you? No. Desperate. You're in serious trouble now. I mean serious trouble. And isolated from others. Do you know that C.S. Lewis's definition of hell? Sometime you should read The Great Divorce. It's very profound. We see hell as this horrible place of torment and fires and torture and all this stuff. His definition of hell was really simple. Two things. For the rest of eternity, you become more you. And whereas you start out in proximity to other souls, over time, like gas in a vacuum, the molecules just separate and separate and separate until hell is you being you as you are forever, alone. That was his definition of hell. And I read that. It so terrified me. It was the beginning of my searching for God. Because when I read that line, I realized I don't like myself at all. And me being me alone forever is truly hell. And this fear came up inside of me like nothing I've ever experienced before. It terrorized me because I saw the truth. And I started praying. I said, God, you've got to help me find you. You've got to help me. Because that is truly hell. Okay. Every one of those, honest to God, honest with myself, honest with others, is about how transparently I choose to live. Are you with me? And the more transparently we choose to live, the healthier we are in every way but now I want to shift gears and look at a completely different perspective on honesty, and that is how do I be honest with others about who they are? That's equally difficult. That is fraught with landmines. Do I tell him what he needs to hear, or do I tell him what he wants to hear? What are the risks? Honey? Honey? Does this dress make me look fat?
1: Yeah. Uh, in
0: you can't win! You can't win! If you lie, you lied. If you tell the truth, you don't get talked to for a week. See... Being honest is risky business, period. It's just hard. It's hard with yourself, but it's really nasty and risky and threatening with other people. How many of you, let's just be honest with me, because I know there's some psychopaths in the room, (laughs) so I expect to see your hands, but I don't expect to see many of your hands. But how many people here actually enjoy confrontation? That's sick. How do you do that? I hate confrontation. Greg, put your hand down. It's my
2: job. It's my job. Oh. oh
0: you get paid to be conf- confrontational? Yeah. How do you get that job? That's a good job. Actually, I just can't stand confrontation. I avoid it wherever possible. How many of you actually like confrontation? I won't remember your name, so I'll close my eyes when the hands go up. Not many, right? I mean, really, we, we, we don't... We don't when, you, when you're in confrontation, all sorts of chemicals get released in your body that are really cortisol, really destructive stuff. And you find you start to shake. And you lose control of yourself. And all sorts of emotions you, you, you thought were gone come back up again. Honesty with people is risky business. Why bother with it? Let's just not do it. What's wrong with a few white lies? Well, okay, what's wrong with a lot of white lies? The short answer is twofold. The first one, and I want you to think about this because it's important. No relationship can go deeper than the level of its honesty. No relationship can go deeper deeper than the level of its honesty. And that's honest with yourself, honest with God, and honest with others. It's the same principle to every relationship. You'll never truly know yourself if you won't be honest with yourself. You'll never truly know God if you're not honest with Him, and you'll never truly know others if you're not honest with them. Period. It's Just a fact. It's the way God's wired the world. Secondly, God tells us to be honest with one another. God tells us to be honest with one another. And he tells us how to do it successfully. Let's just take a look at this verse. This is Paul speaking about the subject. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters... That you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Now, that's a poor translation. That word instruct there in the Greek. That's one of the ways you can translate the word, but it's, it's not the best. In the King James, New King James, it translates it admonish which is much closer to what Paul had in mind. But admonish kind of sounds kind of mean, doesn't it? Kind of mean. But the Greek word used here means to warn. I myself am convinced that, brothers and sisters, that you are full of goodness and you have knowledge and you're competent to warn one another. And that's really interesting because warn there is not about discipline. It does not uh, connote any corrective action. It's not like, I'm warning you or else. There's no or else. It's just, I'm warning you. There's no threat of action. It is about warning of dangers of wrong thinking and wrong actions. I just want to warn you that if you keep doing this, this is what probably will happen. And I'm not judging you, and I'm not disciplining you, and I'm not going to treat you any different after this, but I want you to know, because I'm concerned and I'm warning you. I'm trying to get your attention on the problem. Are you with me? So knowing that, that we are to warn one another when we see something going sideways. How do we do it? Well, this verse, let's go back to it for a minute. Let's, let's let you think about this. If we're going to go and we're going to warn someone about a problem we see in their life, where do we start given this verse? Where do we start? What's the first word we should focus on? Goodness, goodness, I'm convinced that you guys have more than adequate goodness. You're full of goodness. So we start with the condition of who I am before I bring correction. Are you with me? Do I have the requisite goodness to do this thing, this confrontation? Now, that begs another question. What do we mean by goodness? Did you say compassion? It's compassion. It is translated as kindness and love. So right away, we have to face our motives in why I'm bringing the confrontation. Because why am I bringing the warning? If it's because I'm really mad and there's as much vengeance is there in this moment as anything else, don't bring it because you don't have the requisite goodness. And this forces us to go right back to God and get honest with ourselves and say, God, I'm really upset. I'm really mad at this person. I want justice. And God says, right now, justice is the least of my concerns. Right now, I don't want justice for this person. I want mercy. And you're the vehicle of bringing the truth mercifully. So, is your heart right? Is your heart right? Gosh, guys, I'm not trying to whip you on this, but, you know, think about when you have been confrontational. I bet your primary motive wasn't love and mercy. Most of the time, it's not. But if we pause and we say, we remember this verse, and we say, okay, before I do this, I've got to get my heart right. I got to get my own attitudes right. I got to check that I'm doing this for the right reason. Paul reminds his readers that they are full of goodness before he speaks of warning another Christian about the before he brings up the warning part, he gets us focused on the right thing. Before he speaks of warning another Christian about their bad thinking or behavior, he gets us looking at our own hearts. Why is this? Bringing correction with the loving attitude is an act of love. Correction without love is judgmentalism. Let that sink in for a minute. Bringing correction with the loving attitude is an act of love correction without love is judgmentalism. Does this remind you of anything that Jesus said? Jesus was dealing with this issue of correcting one one another and yet something really profound to say about it. Any verse popping into your head? Matthew 7, verses 3 to 5. Let's read them. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother or sister, hey, take the speck out of your eye, you've got a problem, when all the time you've got a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. Now, that Jesus shouldn't be talking like that. That's, he's, he's being mean. He's not doing comfort. He should be taking his own medicine. Trouble is, when he looks for the log in his eye, he doesn't find anything. So what he's saying must be loving. And here he is calling us hypocrites. Why does he call us hypocrites? Because we're hypocrites. Maybe we should figure that out and own it. Are there any hypocrites in this room? Guys, put your hands up. You don't want to have your hand down for this one. <laughs> this is not good. You, yeah, hey, I'm a hypocrite. I'm a hypocrite because we are. It's our nature. It's our nature to judge others by a different st- standard than we j- our, judge ourselves. Right? Right? So Jesus is just giving us step one in getting right before we go do something difficult. He's saying the same thing that Paul's saying, but he's using a a different word picture. Paul's the theologian, right? He paints his truth with words. Jesus paints his truth with pictures. Not always, but sometimes. Parables, metaphors, allegories, and cool things in life, like A speck in your eye. Note this. Mary. Sure glad that tambourine didn't go off when you sneezed. (laughs) (laughs) Note Jesus is not saying don't correct. He's not saying don't correct. He's saying check out your own behavior first and deal with yourself first. Make sure you're right with the Lord. Make sure you're right in your attitudes of your heart. He's saying something very profound. When you go to remove a speck from another's eye, there's likely a log in your own. You're looking for a speck, the little thing that bothers you about your brother's or sister's life, and all the time there's a bigger issue in your own. It's true. It just is. Why does Jesus want us to deal with our own sin before we deal with someone else's? What's the value in dealing with your own sin before you deal with somebody else's? Well, they might take you Pardon? They might take you <laughs> when you deal with your own issues first and you come to terms with His forgiveness for who you are, not just for the things that you do, but for your own nature, and you realize how much He has forgiven you for who you are, how can you withhold that from another person? How dare you withhold that from another person when you have seen clearly your own failure and brokenness and you've seen His love for you anyway? How can you not pass that along to someone? Which means when you go, you will be going with mercy overflowing. You'll be going with gentleness and kindness and patience and long-suffering and all those fruits of the Spirit, which is exactly what's needed for them to hear the truth. When we go to speak truth to somebody, they're not listening to our words. What are they picking up? They're picking up our emotions. They're picking up our, our heart. They're picking up The attitude in which we come. People defend themselves from what they sense you're doing, not what you're actually doing. People are so intuitive emotionally that they will pick up when your heart is wrong. And even though your words are right, they are ineffective because the delivery vehicle is not right. Are you getting it? The beauty of seeing your own sin first is that you come to terms with the need for forgiveness so when you come to to talk to another about their sin, your heart is full of forgiveness. It prepares us spiritually and emotionally and psychologically for what we're about to do, which is difficult. The attitude in which we bring correction is more important than the words of correction we bring. Our attitude is to make the word safe to accept. If we come looking to punish or judge, we give the hearer a good reason to reject what we are saying. Who wants to be corrected by a self-righteous Pharisee? Right? When you have confronted your own failure, it brings a softness and a meekness. and a love for others that is truly of God. It is very hard to judge another person when you've seen your own failure. You with me? That was the first obstacle, (laughs) the right heart. But the verse, Paul's verse, doesn't just leave us with get right in your heart. Knowledge. Knowledge. You see, good intentions alone won't bring change. There also has to be truth to define the change. Paul says, I'm confident that you are complete in knowledge and competent to instruct one another. So it's the right heart, but it's also the right mind. Which means what? The right mind. You're, good. you're coming with the right spirit. You've seen your own failures. You're grateful for God's love and forgiveness. Your heart wants to give that love and forgiveness away, so you're coming in the right spirit, the right emotion, the right attitude. But now it's a matter of truth. What do you do next? Next step. Matter of truth. What do you do? Gather information. And where do you get that information from? the Bible. Before we go to bring correction on a particular issue or subject, we should know pretty much everything the book says about it, because the book is his word, and we can't be wrong with his word. Now, that's, uh, that's a lot of work. It's not, it's, you don't do it in five or ten minutes. You know how I used to have to do it? You go to the concordance, you find the word, whatever it is that describes the sin, and then you go to every single reference in the Bible where that word is found. It's a lot of work. Do you know what the wonderful people that study this book have done? They've organized it. They've organized it. Some some nerd, some Bible nerd, has spent Days going through the scriptures, arranging it under subject headings. So you can go find every verse on a given subject. You don't even have to do the work. Isn't that great? So you got to know the word. We need to know what the Bible says regarding the sin being addressed. Which brings us to a problem. Guys. Are there any gray areas in the Bible? There's a lot of gray areas in the Bible. Do not pass judgment on disputable matters. What do you mean, disputable matters? I know what's right, I have my standards, I've read the Bible. This is the way I expect everyone else to live. Well, guess what? There are disputable matters. There's gray areas. Paul says, you know, some people, some Christians, they have the faith to to, uh, give thanks over meat that's been sacrificed to an evil spirit, and they can eat it. But there's other Christians that can't bring themselves to do that. The strong doesn't judge the weak and the weak doesn't despise the strong because it's a disputable area. Some people have the faith for this. Some people don't. Don't pass judgment on disputable matters. Walk away. No, it's absolutely biblical and if it's a disputable matter, just exercise grace. You're different than me. I'm super sensitive. I won't ever, ever watch a horror movie of any kind. I can't. It affects me too strongly. But I like violent movies. Okay, I'm getting transparent with you, people. And don't give, me that, don't give me that look, Little Miss Hallmark movie. We're not going there. I've watched enough Hallmark movies to be able to predict the dialogue in every single scene. Shelley's watching it, and she's loving it, and I'm going, now he's going to say this, and he does. What? Now she's going to do this. What? And the ending's always the same. No matter what scene it is, no matter what town it is, it it can be Napa Valley in in July, but when the, the critical scene comes, all of a sudden it's Christmas. Right? Always. And the spirit of Christmas comes to hover over and cause Norman Rockwell to be jealous of the scene. It's so perfectly American. Ah, 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 ah. gag me slowly. <laughs> We're not going there either, but yes, okay? We're not going there. I'm, I'm messing up this sermon. I really had you there for a while, but I'm, I'm losing you now. You got to know the Bible, and folks, there's disputable matters, and we've got to be gracious on those disputable matters and cut slack to one another. But not only must your heart be right, your mind has to be right too. It's not enough to say, well, I meant right. And I don't have any anger in my heart, so I must be right about what I think. The rightness of your heart does not excuse the wrongness of your head. They both must be right. So in summation, what does the Bible say about correcting one another? Number one. You don't oh, doggone it, I wanted to trick them. Okay. Your heart has to be right. Number one, get your heart right. Now, don't don't let this come up yet. What's number two? You got your heart right. Now, what's number two? Step two, Jesus, Paul, they both said the same thing. You got your heart right, but how did you get your heart right? the Bible No? Renew your You renew your mind. Watch out. That's how you get your marriage right. That's not how you get your heart right, Rick. Watch a Hallmark movie. (laughs) You look at your own sin first. You look at your own sin first because that's how you're going to get your heart right. Number three. So you got your heart right. You've looked at your own sin. You go to the Word. You must study the Bible to see what it says. Now, number four is a trick question because we haven't covered it yet. It's testing your biblical knowledge. Ready? Now, you're going to go and confront this person. You got your heart right. You know what the Bible says. You're going in mercy. You're not going in judgment. All of that's really good. Now, the Bible has a formula for how we handle... Isn't the Bible practical, you guys? It knows we're going to mess up our relationships. People are going to hurt each other. So it gives us a whole way to do it. (laughs) whoa, God's really thought this through. He didn't just design a bunch of creepy little people. He gave them a way to get through it all. So, what's the Bible say about how we do it? And then, come on, guys. Don't go alone because that hasn't worked so far. First, you confront them alone. Just a one-on-one. And maybe they listen. If your heart's right, they might. But they didn't. So then what do you do? Post it on Facebook. <laughs> Post it on Facebook? Wow. <laughs> that was awesome. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Post it on Facebook. Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> that was All right. So you went one-on-one and it didn't work. Step two, forgetting Facebook for the moment. Step two, you get somebody else. What kind of person do you take? Someone that totally is agree, agrees with you and already doesn't like that person? Like a mentor. Someone who's wise. Someone who has good character. Someone who will be fair and objective with them. This isn't a gang up thing. This is a help them thing. So you take the right kind of person. And the, together you go and you talk it through and you say, well, this seems to be the problem. And are you willing to accept ownership of this? And they say, no. What's step three? What's, that's the next step in that progression. You went alone, you went with somebody else. Now, what's left? you take it to the elders of the church and you say we've got a problem you guys need to be part of this and then they make a decision they get involved and that ensures wisdom and fairness make sense? okay how should we apply this? what would the Holy Spirit want us to do now? I'm asking because it's not clear to me yet. Got an idea?
1: Uh, yeah, I want to take five minutes and do a Q&A. Well, good idea. Love it. Because this relational piece is really difficult, isn't it? Yep. How many of you would say that you're f- frightened, maybe even scared to death, to go to somebody who has hurt you and try to talk to them about it? Raise your hand. Wow, me and three other people, that's it? I hate it. It takes courage to confront, doesn't it? Yes. Let me see if there's any more honest people in the church. How many of you, it's uncomfortable, maybe that's a better oh, word. It's, it's way, uncomfortable to go to someone it's to way, tell them.
0: It's way worse than that.
1: Yeah, well, I only got three hands the first time, so <laughs> remember the honest with yourself?
0: We're bringing it down. We are, to-
1: we are stuck on honest with self here. I stand in
0: awe. I stand in awe. Yeah.
1: I mean, very few people enjoy confrontation. So uh, I have a question. Um, What if... What if... Okay, I'll speak for myself. I don't want to jeopardize the friendship. I don't want to jeopardize the relationship. And so sometimes you just don't say anything. What do you do in that situation?
0: Okay. I'll tell you one. Uh, (laughs) You guys aren't going to like this, but this incident really, really brought it home to me. We had a couple in our connect group years ago, new Christians to the church, and um, they were were really prospering. They were really growing well. And then they were going on a trip together, and they weren't married, and they're going to stay at the same hotel, and obviously there's an issue. So my friend came to me and said did you know that this is happening? And I said, yeah. He said, when are you going to talk to them about it? Like, you need to do something about it. And we were on a trip together on an airplane in this conversation. And I didn't think long enough to really think it through, but out of my mouth, this is what I answered him when he said, when are you going to do something about it? And out of my mouth came when I know that they know that I love them. I thought, yeah, I can't do this until I know that they know that I love them. And so I went back and I said, we'll pray about it. And I went to Shelly and I said, look, this is what's going on. And uh, we need to pray that the Holy Spirit gets involved here and convicts before we speak. Let's do that. So we prayed for three months. At the end of three months, they came to us and said, We need to talk about something. I said, What is it? Well, we feel that this isn't right what we're doing, and we want to get married. Will you marry us? Absolutely. And we did. So I think step the answer to the question, I think the first thing you do is you pray. Yeah, I mean, you start praying, yeah. and it isn't God scorch them, you know. It's God reveal
1: to them what they need to hear. This is where Mark and I differ.
0: Yeah, and that's okay.
1: That's I just pitched my thing. Now you pitch yours. Okay, that that was a great example, but that's an easy one. Okay, what about when somebody's hurt you and you need to go tell them about it, and you're afraid of their response? Yeah, yeah, you got to get your good. heart
0: right. You got to get your heart. Yeah, right.
1: honest with God, honest with yourself. We're so good at being Christians and smiling and saying hallelujah. But on the inside, we're angry as hell. And so that relationship is never right until there is honest communication. But it takes courage, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. That's why this is in the courage series. It takes courage to confront. Somebody else question on this. Well, I have a few minutes left. But, uh, yeah, over here. Oh, I was
0: gonna, for that, for that answer. Okay. Yeah.
3: I actually had to deal with this recently. Um, and so to deal with that hurt, I had to ask God to take this on for me um, so that I would not react. And um, so that I could be compassionate in that moment and see what he was going through. Um, and be there to actually talk it out and work it out. Um, and just sort of be in the moment
1: with it. So, so going to God first
3: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. got your heart right. Yes.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's good stuff. Uh, somebody have a, yeah, back here, a question. I that it's a question.
2: What I realize, too, is uh, a lot of times my offense is really loud at first. And so, like, we've been talking about uh, getting our hearts right with God first. And, you know, maybe you don't even need the confrontation, you know, depending on the type of... Because this is a really subjective thing that we're talking about. Um, A lot of times we just have to define what is major and minor. You know, like majors and minors, is this this really going to matter and make a difference if I actually confront them on this? Or is it just me needing to just, whatever, you know, it's fine. It's not going to affect me really. If I get my heart right, then at the end of it, I'm like, well, I guess the offense doesn't really take root once I've given it to God, Mm. you know. Um, that is how I've handled certain certain confrontations. Others, of course, yeah, you need to have that conversation, but that's the first thing that popped into my head. Josh,
0: I'm so glad you added that, because I should have. Um, the Bible does tell us to bear with one another, and does there's bear one another's burdens, but that's a different verse. Yeah,
1: that means put up with.
0: Yes, it, bear with one another means put up with. In other words, there's things they're doing that are wrong that are little things, and you will grow in grace if you're able to let it go and walk away. And, but then you got to know, like Josh said, is this a really big one or is this a little one? And isn't marriage a process? Isn't marriage a process of deciding which are the big ones to really get bent out of shape about and which ones you just say it doesn't matter that much, I'm going to let it go? Yes. That's, that's a part of life together, right? Gary? I want to
4: say something, but I want to be sensitive because the the person is here. But I can remember years ago, we had a problem. We were really hurt by our a pastor, and he's <laughs> and he's here in this room. And we went to Josh, him.
0: Jo- Josh did. It. It's Josh's fault.
4: <laughs> no, this is this is really this is really important because it could have been where we just said, you know, we're out of here. We went to him, we shared our heart, he shared his heart, and there was such a healing of the relationship that we became close friends. And here we are, twenty years later. became Amen. you know you know was asked to be an elder, side shoulder to shoulder. But it could have been real easy just to say, "I can't handle this," and shoot out of here. God will bring healing. Amen. And those confrontation and it was a hard confrontation. It's always hard. Yeah. But healing came through it. Right on. Yeah.
0: It's not, like, real big, but one of the things that led me to the gathering place was the first time I came. And uh, John was preaching, and he said something that was pseudo-Christian
4: confrontational. And I asked him about it later, and he says, you know, here at the gathering place, we choose
1: the major and the major, and minor and the minors. And that's why I'm still here. Right on. Yeah, we've got to maintain unity. Okay, I, got I, to I said Q&A, meaning ask questions, but what we're getting are sermons. But they're all good.
0: <laughs> they're all good. We're getting lots
1: on. of answers, not many questions. We've got a teaching gift in the house. <laughs> okay, we do one more, Linnea. and then we're going to wrap up. I
3: have a question, so um, I guess the easiest way that I can put it is, what if you've been continually hurt? from this person from a very young age, but to confront them, you understand that they're narcissistic and they have a mental problem and there's not, and so you forgive them and then they continue to hurt you over and over and you just forgive them from afar, but you can never confront them because, well, narcissists are never wrong, and then they gaslight you.
1: Yeah, so the question would be...
3: How, how, how do you do that?
1: Yeah. There's a great scripture, Mark, if you don't mind me handling this one, there's a great scripture that says, as much as depends on you, live at peace with everyone, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So if you feel like you've done all you can do, and this person is non-receptive, then the relationship's redefined. And you can have a clear conscience before God that I did everything I could, but they're so combative and they won't own their own stuff. The relationship doesn't work. So I will see you in heaven and we'll make up there. But in the meantime, um, I know that my heart toward you is forgiving and tender, but the way you're behaving, I have to draw boundaries. Boundaries are like fences on a yard and you can have gates in your fence and you're allowed to open and close that gate and allow anybody in or keep anybody out that you want, right? That's your property. And so this person, you have had the gate open and they are continually hurting you. You just got to close the gate and have a relationship with them across the fence. And the Lord will not be disappointed with that because you can't keep opening yourself up to abuse.
0: No. Uh, yeah, Thank that's you. what I was going to say too. Yeah. So,
1: yeah, you, yeah, forgiveness is not the same as giving them permission to continue to hurt you.
3: Thank you. That's really freeing to hear.
1: Well, you're welcome.
0: But you should still you should still stay married to Greg. No. no, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I don't I, I don't I don't see I don't see divorce in the in the options yet. It, it's
3: not yet. him. Oh, it's not him. No. Yeah. <laughs>
0: okay. That's my
1: best friend right here. Okay. So let's 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 um let's ask the Holy Spirit. Let's come to the Holy Spirit just for the last couple minutes that we have. Maybe there's a relationship you've been avoiding doing something. And the way of, I, 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 I use the word clarification rather than confrontation because I like it better because it's less threatening. Maybe there's a relationship in your life that needs a clarification meeting. And so let's first start there and ask the Holy Spirit Is there a relationship in your life that needs attention that you've been avoiding because you're afraid of the person's reaction? Let's start there and just ask the Lord Is there a relationship in my life you want me to do something about? As much as depends on me. Okay, now ask the Lord what it is that he would have you do. Uh, what's the first step? Okay, how many feel like you got something? you got a relationship, needs attention, raise your hand. Great, great. Um, And how many of you feel like the Lord just gave you your first step? Great. Over here, back there, right here, over here. Great. So you want to step out and do that. Do what the Lord said. And uh, the first thing I would say right now, let's do this. Just pray for the person. Yeah. Pray for the person that has hurt you, someone that you need to talk to. Begin to pray for them right now. And uh, it's going to get your heart right and it's going to release the Holy Spirit to begin working in their heart. You know, I think I just got a word of knowledge for someone. Someone has been trying to communicate with you and you are not open to them. Ask the Lord. Ask the Lord what he would have you do in that relationship. Lord, we pray that you would bring healing to all the relationships represented in this church. You've said that if we would love one another the way you love us, it would prove that we're your disciples. We're supposed to be loving at a level that is uncommon to the human experience. So Lord, we all pray that we would have the love of God flowing through our hearts, the love of God flowing through our hearts for one another, and the courage of the Holy Spirit to speak the truth in love as Mark taught us today. In Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. 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 Well, God bless you, everybody. I'm going to call the prayer teams up. Some of you need some prayer over this very area. And the teaching uh, took you so far, but you know you need some extra prayer. So uh, you can make your way up front here for prayer. Also, if you need physical healing in your body, we believe God for miracles here. So if you need physical healing in your body, if you've never given your life to Jesus before, come on up here. We can talk about that. I can pray with you. Otherwise, God bless you. Have a great day.